Uh, if we haven't met, my name is John Sherrill, one of the pastors at the church. We're in the midst of a fall sermon series that was taking us through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, before we dive in, let's pray together, shall we? Father, as we turn our attention to the scripture now, we pray uh, that you would make yourself known, that you would speak by your spirit to us, that you would uh, illuminate the scripture to our hearts and minds, that we might hear and know and see and understand all that you have for us today. Uh, we set ourselves before you and ask you to speak, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this series uh, in Colossians, as you can see on the screen, is called Rooted. That's lifted from a particular verse in Paul's letter to the Colossians where he encourages the church there to, to remain rooted and built up in Christ. And as we've been saying throughout this series, Colossae was a rather small kind of church. Paul didn't plant it, another uh, Christian leader did. So Paul was writing this letter to them, having never met them in person, writing to a small church about a big problem that is faced by Christians across times and cultures, uh, really everywhere around the world. And that, that big problem is that as followers of Christ in this world, we're tempted to take what we learned about Jesus and add stuff to it and uh, we end up with some kind of hodgepodge religion pieced together from a little bit of gospel and some other thoughts that kind of float around in the world. So what we end up believing isn't really rooted and built up in Christ alone. It's truly really rooted and founded more in the ideas of the world. So it's something that we grapple with and it's very applicable to us in our time. Um, we're, we're today at chapter three in Colossians, and if you're more familiar with the Bible, this is just a loaded chapter. It's a beautiful passage. I found myself reading it thinking, we could spend the whole fall in just these 17 verses we're gonna read today, but today we're gonna just focus on the big picture. What was the big idea the Apostle Paul was trying to convey, and what does that mean for us? So let's listen to the scripture in that spirit. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jennifer. You ever have one of those times where you're reading something and um, you, you come across an idea that is profoundly helpful? You know, it, it, it's an aha moment. It kind of changes you. It might change the way you view an issue. It might even change the way you kind of view the world. It's just an incredibly helpful kind of thought or, or idea. Uh, I had one of those a number of years back when I was reading Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, that, that book is his unpacking of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't read it, you should. It's really, it's really good. Uh, you, the fifth church family, know that I was not raised in the church and came uh, to understand what it means to trust Jesus with my life as a senior in college. And it was only after that that I started reading the Bible more for myself and really understanding and knowing that this was God's word, not just because other people said so, but because I was experiencing it as that. Um, so if you're less familiar with the, the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount is that um, a big sermon that Jesus gave and in, included in there are some very clear ethical teachings like um, you have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Or you have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate your neighbor. But I tell you, uh, love your, did I say love your enemy? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what I meant to say. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I remember the first time I read through this as a new believer, I had this like just gut level feeling of defeat like Jesus was giving me a to-do list that was utterly undoable. Like there's no way. Because I know me, I get angry all the time and I mean, pray for your enemies. Who can do that? Like really? So I, I, so I found myself wondering why would Jesus give us all this stuff uh, knowing, he must know, right, that we can never do it all. Like so what, what, where does that leave us? But then the divine conspiracy, this idea, where Willard suggests that the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of behavioral to-dos, not like a, a checklist where if we get it all right, we can prove that we're qualified for God. It's not a, a list of moral imperatives every Christian must work hard to obey. Because, by the way, if you view it that way, there are only two possible outcomes. One, you try it, you fall on your face in, in complete failure, and just live depressed thinking you're a complete screw-up before God. Or else you try, 
and think you actually kind of did okay, and you get puffed up and kind of haughty, and you live in this kind of prideful self-righteousness. There's no middle ground when you look at it that way, right? But, suggests Willard, maybe the Sermon on the Mount is a description of the kingdom kind of life that is possible now in Jesus. Rather than a list of to-dos, we've got to like execute on, right? Get right or, or kind of get out. Thus, the, the title of the first chapter of his book, Entering the Eternal Kind of Life Now. Hope you know what that's, our, that, that's what our faith is about, right? What Jesus has done for us and the change that's brought to us. This isn't just get your ticket punched so that you go to heaven when you die. It's way bigger than that, right? Way bigger than that. It's not that you have to pray for your enemies and if you don't, you won't qualify for the kingdom of God. It's not that. It is that if you come into a trust relationship with Jesus, you will begin becoming the kind of person who wants to pray for your enemies. That's the change. Back to that old thing, religion might make people better, but the gospel makes people new. Become a different person. The old self, gone, there's a new self that, that comes around. And that's exactly what today's passage in Colossians is about, entering the eternal kind of life. Now, growing toward the kind of people will be forever in the here and now. Starting that right now. Now, in, in the first message of, of this series, I unpacked the, the difference between Jewish thinking and, and Christian thinking on, on time, kind of the ages, like the big picture of what's going on. Here's a picture of kind of the, the Jewish understanding. We're, we're living in the current age. There will be a time when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, everything will be made right, and the new age, or the age to come, will begin. And this is what uh, people who are spiritually Jewish, not just culturally Jewish, this is what they believe. When Messiah comes, there will be peace. This is why my good friend from Israel when I was on a trip, David, who's Jewish, said, this is why I can't be a Christian. I mean, how could Jesus have been the Messiah? Look around, the world is not at peace. How could the Messiah have come? He had this model in his mind, right? When the Messiah comes, everything will be right. But uh, the Christian understanding, what Jesus said is this, that there's an overlap that nobody in Old Testament times was really expecting um, but, but Jesus came, the Messiah came the first time, and we believe this not just because it's what he said, but because he was declared with power to be the son of God through his resurrection from the dead. He said that he would come again. So it's not that the ages are like this, there's this overlap, and we're living in the overlap. You know, it's not that we get a kingdom kind of life only when we die, we can begin living a kingdom kind of life now in Christ. And again, not all by our own effort, We've got a part to play, but there's a, a whole other world into which we can live right now. And uh, the Apostle Paul details some of the stuff that we can do to begin living in that new life now. Now, when, when we're in a series like this, actually it had me thinking about all preaching in general, especially a series like this when we're going straight through a letter. We, we show up on a Sunday morning and there's like a chunk of it that we think about, and that's that's completely abnormal. That is not what the apostle intended when he wrote this letter to the church. The intent was that the church would show up like this, the, the, 
the believers would gather in a corporate body and the entire letter would be read at one time. It was a letter, right? You'd read it. You wouldn't read like three sentences and say, next week we'll take the next three sentences. You know, so we have to, when we're doing it in this way, remember that context and that there's a bigger thing going on. So what Paul is saying this week is actually based on something he said that we touched on a couple weeks ago, kind of the, the, the foundation or starting line, if you will, of the points that he kind of continues to make. The starting line for the scripture we read is way back in Colossians 2. Here it is. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the, all that stood, the legal charge of indebtedness has been taken away, nailed to the cross, right? Jesus was nailed to the cross. He paid the price for our sins. So this is, this is the, the starting line. And the next section, which we talked about last week, starts with, since you died with Christ. And then the passage we read today begins with, since you have been raised with Christ. So I'm not going to rehearse the whole thing, but last week we touched on what does it mean to say that we have died with Christ. We're still physically alive, so not talking about physical death. What that meant is that we've died to the requirements of the law to become kind of qualified before God. Because we're qualified because Jesus' perfect performance record is applied to us, right? So in the same way, when, when our text today starts with, since you have been raised with Christ, that doesn't mean like physically we've already been raised. This does not mean that the resurrection has already happened. The Bible's clear the resurrection will happen at a point in the future. This isn't talking about that. It's talking about being raised with Christ in, in some other sense, in some other way. What it means, I think, is this. We've been raised with Christ in the sense that we're alive to God and to this age to come. In Christ, we've been raised to God's presence through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We're participants right now in God's kingdom, the age to come. We're inhabitants of a realm where what God prefers is what actually happens. It's one definition of the kingdom of God. Where God's loving reign and rule prevail over personal rebellion and sin. That's possible right now. Not because we're trying really hard and getting it right. We've got a role to play, but we can live in that world where we make ourselves available and are open to God's loving rule and reign in our lives, guiding us. And again, we're not loving and praying for our enemies because we have to, but because God is changing us, changing our hearts to see that enemy, not as an enemy, but as a fellow human being who's in the exact same boat that I am. Doesn't justify their behavior, but they're in the exact same boat as we are. And, and that's what, we're not gonna touch on this, but the whole part in the text today, there's you know, neither Scythian nor Gentile, basically saying, look, sin is colorblind. Everybody, it's everybody. Not just that person or the person I think is horrible or whatever, it's everybody. So God's, God's changing us. So the starting line in trusting Jesus is trusting Jesus and being raised with Christ to the age to come through the forgiveness he offers. The race 
is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus and thus becoming the people God created us to be. And that, the, the fancy name for that is sanctification, you know, the, the lifelong process, the present tense of salvation. And you caught it, I hope, the present tense of salvation is present in the passage we read today. Here it is. You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Present tense, right? Is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Being renewed in the present time. We're works in progress and will be until we die. And... In Christ, we can understand that the old self has been put off and the new self has been put on like a new set of clothes. Now, here's where the the tension is. Big picture, right? We live in the overlap of the ages. When we come to faith in Jesus by trusting him with our lives, we die to the requirements of the law. We are raised with him to God's presence and God's present kingdom. We're new and we're works in progress. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you and I feel the tension daily, hourly, maybe even minute by minute. It is not either or. It's not that you're either new or not. It's not that you're either a work in progress or you've made it, you're good enough though that's the way it feels, that's not what's going on here. See, in scripture, there is absolutely no tension between these ideas that we have been saved by putting our faith in Christ and that we are being saved right now. When the scripture says you have been saved, it's talking about you have been rescued, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. When it says you are being saved, you are being renewed, Right now, that means you are being saved from the power of sin in the present moment. You're becoming the kind of person who can pray for your enemies. So there's no tension in scripture around this idea. There's tremendous tension in us because half the time we feel like complete screw-ups. Like, oh man, here I go again. Oh no, oh no. And in scripture, that is normal, natural, and predictable for every human being who has turned to Jesus in faith and is seeking to follow him and grow in him. You'll experience this tension. You're not weird. You're not a complete screw up when everybody else has has got it figured out and is doing okay. We are all in this together. It is absolutely normal. Read Romans 7, right? The Apostle Paul. He articulates that like, man, what a wretched person I am. The thing I want to do, I don't do. In in fact, the thing I want to avoid, I find myself doing. What's the deal? But praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us the victory, right? He He had great tension in himself, but he held both of those things as true. I'm new, I'm completely new, I'm saved, and I'm a work in progress. So what's our part in this ongoing process of being renewed? Paul details it. There's a huge list that could come off like a big to-do list, but again, kingdom kind of life that's possible. Right? You don't have to do all this stuff perfectly. This is describing the kind of life that's possible. Here's some stuff we can do. Look at all the imperatives. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. 
Interestingly, the Greek word there, put to death, you might wonder, well, how can I do that? I wish I could do that. Oh, if it were that easy. What the word put to death means is cut off the supply line. If you know you struggle with something, the thing you can do is figure out the pipeline that's getting you to that point and cut off the pipeline. That's what that verb literally means to do. Uh, You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Do not lie to each other. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, patience. Bear with each other. What that means, follower of Jesus, is that when another follower of Jesus annoys the heck out of you, there's another follower of Jesus really is getting under your skin. This command says, hang in there with them. Choose to view that person as a fellow child of God, a person who's in the same boat as you being renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. You know, respond, don't react. That's what that means. Uh, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell dwell in you richly. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Quite the list. Let me focus on two things, then we'll be done. Set your hearts and minds. Set. Greek word literally means seek. Uh, With your heart, seek the things of God, the things of the age to come, the things of God's kingdom. With your mind, Seek the things of God, the things of of God's kingdom. See, in life, we experience a battle for our hearts and minds. How many times have we heard the story that a, a kid grew up in the church, went off to college, and abandoned their faith? What happened there was they went off to college, engaged a bunch of new ideas, uncritically, in an unbalanced way, and went with those ideas instead of other ideas. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Colossians. Ideas are flying all around. When you choose to go with an idea, to believe it, to put your trust in it, your allegiance in it, you better darn well know where did that idea come from, what's it really saying, and why are you believing it? If you're not, you're gonna steer the car off the road and crash. Because there's a gazillion ideas. So you've got to figure that out. So how do, you, how do you follow Christ? How do you participate in the ongoing renewal happening in you? You set your hearts and minds. Some people find it easier to trust Jesus in their hearts. Others find it easier to consider Jesus with their minds. We're called to both. To quote N.T. Wright, this was so good I put it on your little sermon note sheet. Someone who truly understands who, she, who he or she is in Christ is further along the road to genuine holiness than someone who, in confusion, anxiously imagines that the new life is the result rather than the starting point of the daily battle with temptation. So I, I had the privilege of sitting with that for like an hour, right? Take that home and read it again. It's really important. We set our hearts and minds on Jesus by seeking the Lord regularly through scripture and prayer. Then last thing, let the peace of Christ rule. That that Greek word translated rule has a fascinating depth to it. It has connotations of an athletic competition uh, where, where a referee makes the calls. The word literally means let the peace of Christ make the calls 
in your life. Any referees in the house? I know one at least, maybe more. Two, okay. Um, tough job. Tough job. It's a job of, ref to of a ref to watch carefully what's going on and to make the calls. Sometimes the calls are really hard. If the ball crosses the line, you've got to make the call. Uh, you've got to make the calls to what's right and wrong. You're watching the participants in the game, not just one or two, everybody. And, and you're thinking, is what is going on here right? Or do I need to correct this thing and get it headed in a different direction? We, our boys have played soccer, um, and some basketball. When they were really young playing basketball, sometimes the refs served as coaches. <laughs> They'd say, hey, you can't, be, you can't be across the half court line yet. You know, you just, no pressing in this league. Come on back here, you know. Um, I've seen refs uh, in a game that's kind of getting out of control, just stop the whole thing. Blow the whistle. Stop. Everybody stop. You two, you two, over here. Look, you want to keep playing this game? You got to play by the rules. Otherwise, you're not going to be playing the game. Stop it. You good? Good. Let's go. Sometimes refs do that. What this passage is talking about is letting the peace of Christ referee your life. So what does that mean? You can ask. Will doing this, that, or the other thing increase or decrease your experience of the Lord's peace? The, the, the job choice you're about to make. Uh, the, the family decision, the, the road down which you're heading, the, the words you're about to speak to another human being, will that increase your experience of Christ's peace or decrease it? And if you can answer that question, you should let the peace of Jesus make the call. Very practical, right? Very practical. So, that's it. Big picture. We live in an overlap of the ages. We are participating right now in God's age to come. It's not just a future deal when we die. Here, right now, Jesus said it. The kingdom of God is at hand, literally within arm's length, right now. We are new and we are works in progress. No tension in the Bible around those two realities. Our part is to seek the things from above, think the things of the Lord, God's kingdom. And our practical guide is to let the peace of Jesus make the calls in our lives. Shall we read it together again? These verses from Colossians. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for such practical advice for living. Would you pour out your spirit on us and help us as we seek to allow your peace to make the calls in our lives? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.